Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome to uh, Focus Today. I'm your host, Perry Atkinson. Inflation, recession, the economy, uh, the national debt, uh, the stock market doesn't seem to be all telling us the same thing. So I am very honored to have with us today, and quite frankly, very timely, Dr. Murray Sabrin's back with us, Emeritus Professor of Finance there at uh, Ramapo College there in New Jersey. Uh, he's the author of several books, including his autobiography, which, by the way, is a fascinating read, uh, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual. No question about it. Anyway, check out his uh, website, uh, murraysabrin.com. Substack.com, and there's a picture of the landing page. Dr. Sabrin, good to see you again. How are you, friend? Hey, Perry. Wow. Um, am I confused, or are the numbers lying to us? <laughs> uh, I just can't get why the stock market's up and inflation seems to be low and gas prices are through the roofs. Uh, I know that you talk about this in your latest post, basically saying America is at a tipping point. Explain that. Well, uh, according to the data that the Federal Reserve publishes, and it's available to everybody who just looks at the economic indicators, we're now seeing the debt, the interest on the national debt, the federal government's debt, skyrocketing. It's gone from $500 billion just a few years ago to nearly $1 trillion. In other words, it's rising at an ever faster rate. And when that ever has happened in history, whether it's in Europe, South America, or any part of the world, that leads to a hyperinflation. Now, I'm not predicting that's going to happen right now, but history and finance is on that analysis because once the government increases its debt at an extraordinary rate and the interest expense goes through the roof, central banks usually come in and buy up some of this debt, which is called monetizing the debt by creating money, and that was, that's what gave us the hyperinflation in Germany. Okay, we're getting a little bit of a little bit of a challenge there today. Uh, let me say why they uh, they correct this. Um, you can go to his website because he he tracks this and does very well with it. Very well with it. Excuse me. Uh, that's uh, Murray uh, Sabrin S A B R I N dot Substack dot com. And uh, he takes an angle from all of this that nobody else does. And let me encourage you to go there and um, check out his, his uh, resources there. I think we got him back. We get you back, Dr. Saber. There you are. Sorry about that. I'm here. Sorry about I'm that. Here. Technology okay. works when you don't want it. <laughs> well, it, it, could be more, it could be more nefarious reasons. For there, that, you for that. there you go. There you go. So go ahead. You're explaining the, the debt, the, tri the debt. Well, the debt has exploded. And um, for people uh, who are concerned about the future of the country, um, unfortunately, uh, President uh, Trump increased the debt enormously by $7 trillion. The budget uh, nearly doubled under his administration because of COVID. Um, he, he, he wasn't a fiscal conservative. And all this debt is just out there. And we have to pay interest on it. And since the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates from virtually zero to more than 5% today, the cost of that servicing that debt is increasing exponentially. And when you ever have a chart that increases exponentially, it usually crashes. Now, with the debt, the interest, the expense is not going to crash. It means that the federal government will not be able to pay 
for things that it would like to pay for, including all the so-called discretionary spending, and even Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid may be affected, as will uh, the defense budget, which from my perspective is bloated uh, in the first place. So the federal government is on a road, has been on a road of financial irresponsibility for decades, and it's now accelerating. And whenever that happens, Perry, usually the currency declines dramatically, as happened all around the world in Germany and other European countries after World War I and World War II and in South America. You cannot print your way to prosperity. You cannot print money and expect a good outcome. It causes inflation, uh, the boom-bust cycle, and uh, widespread impoverishment. All right, so this produces a couple of questions, uh, Dr. Sabrin. One is... Um the interest in on the debt becomes a government mandate. In other words, it has to be paid, right? Yes, yes. Okay, and who sets the interest rates on that debt? Well, the debt is set by the free market, by uh, bidders coming every Monday at the U.S. Treasury auction for three-month Treasury bills and six-month Treasury bills, and they set the interest rates. Now, the Federal Reserve has an impact on that because it, it targets the short-term interest rates known as the Fed funds rate. That's the overnight uh, bank rate that the banks uh, charge each other to borrow money. And so the Federal Reserve has an enormous impact on the short-term end. On the long-term end, it's just amazing that the long-term rates are, are, th- are around 4% when inflation is still running at 4% per annum. So we're not getting a real rate of return on our long-term uh, uh, debt, the people who are buying it. And so interest rates are still too low given the amount of inflation that's still in the economy. And that's why I think the Fed will continue to raise rates uh, probably into next year. And uh, and we should have a recession somewhere in the next six to nine months, as I predicted in December of 2021 in a Fortune magazine article. And it seems that I've been right on schedule in terms of my forecast. As I said, it would the recession should begin no earlier than the first second half of 2021, uh, 2023 and uh, or the first half of 2024. So we're on our way to a recession, which is basically a readjustment by the marketplace to the reality of sound money. And we don't have sound money. We won't have sound money until the Fed stops manipulating interest rates and printing money. Do we hit a wall here? Well, I think what's going to happen, and I've been on the record saying this, is I think by the end of this decade, which is not that far away, we may have a financial crisis that could rival what happened in 1929 when the stock market started declining and didn't stop declining until it went down 90%. Now, I'm not predicting a 90% decline in the stock market beginning in 2029, but all the ingredients are falling into place for the perfect financial storm that could hit us at the end of this decade or the early part of the next decade, because spending is literally out of control. And it seems it doesn't matter who's going to be president, spending will continue on its merry way because of all the entitlements spending, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and defense spending. And there's no um, courage in Washington to cut spending. All they do is uh, manipulate the spending, whether they increase the budget 7% or 3%. It still goes up year after year after year. So where do we create margins within the budget to pay down the debt? We, we won't. That's, see, this, that's, this is the scary reality. There's no way that can pay down the debt because the way the federal budget is constructed, it's on almost automatic autopilot in terms of 
increasing year after year after year, no matter who's in office or who controls the Congress. And the, the interesting thing, Perry, which is which is what what a lot of Republicans don't want to hear, is that the budget seems to grow slower on the Democrats than they do on the Republicans. So I looked at the eight years of Obama's uh, tenure and in the Oval Office, and his budget went up very little for eight years when uh, Trump's budget uh, doubled in, in nearly doubled in, in four years. Okay, so is really inflation 3.4%? <laughs> well, there are people who, uh, who say that the rate of inflation is a lot higher based upon an earlier construction of the consumer price index from the early 80s. This Bureau of Labor Statistics has been manipulating the, the um, consumer price index for years now, and it looks like inflation is a lot higher. There's something that called shrink inflation. In other words, an 18-ounce container is now a 16-and-a-half-ounce container, and the, the Fed, uh, this Bureau of Labor Statistics is supposed to take that into account. If you're paying the same amount for an item that's shrunk in size by 10%, that's 10% inflation that should be calculated in the consumer price index. Whether it is or not, we have to do a deep dive in, in the, uh, the way it's constructed. So why doesn't the CPI include food and energy? Oh, it does. The, the, the problem with the CPI is it, it, it puts housing in a very peculiar situation. It has uh, what's called owner's equivalent rent, what a, what a homeowner would pay if they had to rent their house instead of a buying house. The way I would do a consumer price index is I would put in there all the things we buy on a regular basis, food, clothing, uh, rent, uh, uh, gasoline, um, services such as dental services and medical services, and put in the high ticket items that we buy infrequently, like computers and cell phones. We don't buy that on a month to month basis. We buy that very infrequently. So I would have a consumer uh, index of things that we use on a regular basis, then we, I would call that capital consumer goods, like housing and other uh, goods that have a long uh, life that we use. And then we have a, should have a category called taxes, how much we pay in taxes. That's the cost of being a citizen in the United States. So the, the, everything is thrown into, the, into this uh, CPI, and I think we should uh, disaggregate it to get a better picture. But the average person knows when they go to the store and they see items that they've been purchasing for a long time, and it's up 5%, 10% from six months ago or a year ago, they know that their uh, salary is not going as far as it used to go. I know that managing um, this business here, we've seen just our general cost go up 28%. General yeah. operating cost, not our revenue, just our yeah. general operating cost. I mean, at what point <laughs> that I don't make it? Well, th this is why the challenges for entrepreneurs is to put is to put a real good microscope under their cost structure and see what efficiencies they can get because during a, a cycle like we've had, costs are going up pretty rapidly for entrepreneurs and especially labor costs because we see strikes around the country today because workers realize they are getting uh, behind the eight ball when it comes to prices and their wages and they're striking. So UPS just settled uh, yeah. A, a labor dispute, uh, the, the Hollywood writers and actors are on strike. And so there are people out there who realize that uh, they're not doing as well as uh, the Biden administration claims they are. And that's why there's a lot of angst in, in the labor market today. And of course, uh, companies are having a hard time hiring workers, even at 18 and $20 an hour, which is well above the federal or state minimum wages that we have across the country. So the marketplace is the arbiter of all things economic. All the government can do, Perry, is to distort the marketplace by 
increasing costs uh, for various manufacturing businesses, increase the cost of service businesses, and uh, have, and, and with environmental regulations that increase the uh, the regulatory fees that they have to pay as well. Government is an engine of distortion in the economy. That's why I've been promoting free market ideas for a half a century now. And unfortunately, it's going on deaf ears in Washington because they keep on piling on regulation and regulation, taxes and taxes. And this doesn't lead to good economic, stable growth for the U.S. economy. I have a couple other quick questions, uh, Dr. Saver. And let me ask you this. Uh, so the feds are going to continue to raise the rates to, in order to fight inflation. But short-term interest rates will kill small business that have to borrow more money short-term to stay alive. It'll just, it'll end it, right? Well, unless, of course, you don't need uh, to, to borrow money. I mean, most companies usually have a line of credit at their local bank in order to meet any sort of seasonal or, or yeah. monthly uh, situation where they have to borrow for short-term purposes. And that's why it's important for small uh, businesses to have a good relationship with their local bank or two in order to make sure that they have the wherewithal to uh, get over the hump when when something to, uh, bad happens in the economy. But this is why managing a business is not as easy as the people in Washington think it is between labor and the cost of labor and uh, getting the right employees and maintaining employees and avoiding uh, labor turnover um, and then making sure that uh, you're satisfying consumer uh, needs in, in your uh, sector of the economy. These are all the things that make business running very difficult. And mm -hmm. the people who do it very well are the entrepreneurs. It's not the senators or the members of the House or the representatives or the Department of Commerce or, or, the, or the President of the United States, no, no matter who it is. Just let the marketplace work and we will have a mo much more robust economy which gr with greater prosperity. But uh, that concept is alien to a lot of people in Washington, D.C. One last question. Uh, so you think that to prevent hyperinflation, we ought to continue on the increase of interest rates? Well, we, we need to get the inflation rate down. We need the Fed to stop printing money and manipulating interest rates and allow the marketplace to determine interest rates. This has probably been the greatest error of the Federal Reserve to think that they can micromanage the economy by setting the interest rate higher or lower, and to have zero percent inflate uh, zero interest rates is uh, is totally financially irresponsible because all the economic and financial textbooks say that you should have a real rate of two percent, which means that if inflation is running at one percent, interest rate should be three four percent a year. And so the Federal Reserve has made error after error after error for the past hundred and ten years since they were created in 1913, and it's time that the Fed stop trying to manage the economy. It's a form of central planning. We know central planning doesn't work. We saw the collapse of the Soviet Union and other centrally planned economies. And the Federal Reserve is our central planning institution, if you will. And we should just abolish it and go back to having the dollar as good as gold and have the Treasury issue dollars backed by a, a real commodity, uh, gold and silver, which has been the history of the United States up, till, up until the 1930s and the 1960s. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for making it simple. <laughs> Always a, uh, an honor to have you, sir. Uh, let me say to our viewers and listeners, check out his website, Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, Sabrin, S-A-B-R-I-N, dot substack dot com. There's a picture of his uh, landing page there. And check out his personal book. It is a fascinating story from immigrant to public intellectual, an American story. No question about it. Thank you, my friend. Good to see you. Look forward to visiting again soon. Thanks, Perry. It's always a pleasure being with you. Take care now. Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, 
You can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.